the victory is all yours, uh, that we benefit from that. Uh, I pray that you would just show us uh, the worth of that victory in our lives, God. I pray that you would speak through Michael, that you would speak through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And if you would remain standing for a moment. Um, sometimes it really is uh, good to just be reminded that um, that in Christ, uh, the grave is is no longer something we fear, that death is no longer a victor, um, but uh, through Christ the victory is ours. That victory comes uh, through uh, God giving that to us, sealing us in His Spirit. And we talked began last week and we're going to continue this week talking about the Spirit, and so we're going to say together uh, the portion of our statement of faith that refers to the Holy Spirit. So let's say this together. We believe that the Holy Spirit... And all that He does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners. And in Him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. And you may be seated. And while you are doing that, if you would turn to Acts chapter 1. And in a moment, we'll be uh, in Isaiah 55 and then come back and briefly look at Acts chapter 2. Um, what I want to do is, is begin with kind of a, a high flyover view and kind of get a lay of the landscape. Um, just look at a couple of things that stand out from Acts chapter 1. And then we're going to go back in time, travel back and look at Isaiah 55 and say, okay, what are we supposed to see? Those, those, that chapter in, in Acts 1 are sort of talking about some of the same stuff. Well, what are we supposed to pick out? We've got the kind of the big overview. What are the details? And then we'll continue back into the, back into the early church in Acts chapter 2 and say, okay, is that, is that really there? Do we see that happening? Um, so in Acts chapter 1... What's interesting is, and I've, I'm, I know that I've read Acts chapter 1 numerous times, and often in the past I've often failed to see how prominent the Holy Spirit is in what's going on. From the very beginning to um, what Jesus is really trying to communicate to the disciples. He begins this way, The first account I composed to Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. 
And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside, beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Father, use this word to strengthen uh, our understanding of who you are and who we are. God, I pray that you'd open our ears and our minds to understand. Uh, and ultimately, God, we ask that you would change our wills. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, the very first thing, the very first mention of the Holy Spirit is early on in verse 2. He says, He had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom He had chosen. And again, I've, I've read over that a thousand times, but we need to think about that for a moment. By means of the Holy Spirit, Jesus gave orders to the apostles. Now, I don't think Jesus needed any help in giving commands. I think what we find is, is that you and I are the ones that need the Holy Spirit to help us to understand, in one sense, to translate these words that Jesus said into something that we can get. Right, we oftentimes read and we hear, okay, yeah, I know what that says, but we need the Holy Spirit to enliven us. And Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, spoke commands to the apostles. So this one big kind of general idea is that um, God communicates to His people through the Spirit. And if we don't have that Spirit, then we're necessarily missing out on truth and understanding. It's not His limitation, it's ours. And so we necessarily, as God's people, are dependent upon His Spirit. Second, um, down in verse 4 and 5, Jesus says, you need to wait for the promise from the Father. Don't go anywhere. Just hang tight. And he'd been talking about the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And he says, you just need to wait for the promise of the Spirit. Don't go anywhere. How many times in the Gospels did Jesus tell people not to do something? Don't tell, don't do this, don't do that. Right. If we read carefully enough, what we see is oftentimes those don't tell, don't say anything was because they didn't have a full picture of who Jesus was. What they were going to go out and spread was, here's this miracle worker, he can meet all of your needs, but failing to understand who he was as his person, that he was the Son of God. The demons who recognized that part, he also commanded to be quiet and not say anything. There's many of the things they would get wrong about him as well. And so again, he's telling the disciples, don't go anywhere, just wait. Be patient. If you try to take this in on your own, even after those 40 days of resurrection appearances and teaching, those many proofs presented himself alive after he was dead, if that's not enough to, to change them and motivate them, right, then we need to be careful who have not seen the risen Lord in person and touched His flesh. Is the Holy Spirit guiding us? If they needed to wait, then what does that say for us in our dependence upon the Spirit of God? And then third, the, the kind of the question of the kingdom comes up. Are you at this time restoring the kingdom of heaven? They say in verse 6, and he says, basically, it's kind of none of your business. But, since we're talking about kingdom issues... 
right? There is a kingdom, and we want that kingdom to be alive and present. And so you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And if I'm a disciple, I'm thinking, well, but that makes sense, right? Because whenever one kingdom is going to take the place of another kingdom, power has to be present, right? I either have to have some military power or some intellectual power or some, something to overthrow a kingdom, right? I don't know what their thoughts were, but I can imagine I know what my own thoughts are. And I know that oftentimes it's not what Jesus is talking about. I think in it takes strength and intelligence to usurp a king. To have a kingdom replace another kingdom. And so if I'm the disciples, I'm thinking, well, I can't wait for this. What's this going to look like? He's going to give us the ability to, to blast somebody probably, right? No, wait for this power. This Holy Spirit that was promised is going to come upon you and you're going to get power. And then he says, I don't know if this disappointed them or not, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I don't know what they thought about that. I don't have any idea at that time. But I'm not sure that's the power that I would want if I'm trying to get the Romans off my back. And so that's kind of the overview. We, we fly over and we look and say, okay, there's the Spirit's necessary for communication. They're supposed to wait for the Spirit. And the Spirit's going to give them power to do something. What is that power supposed to look like? So let's back up to Isaiah 55 because he actually tells us exactly what is going to happen, but he uses some pretty flowery figurative language. We're going to begin in, in verse 10. There's this free offer of mercy, a free offer of grace. Uh, the beginning of Isaiah 55. But he ends this way. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up, and instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. In 10 and 11, there's this comparison between water or snow, which we're fixing to get a bunch of tomorrow, hopefully. At least my girls hope so. And God's Word that's going forth. And we already know that God's Word goes forth to His people by means of His Spirit, right? So there's this comparison between water and the Word going forth and what it does. And it says that it will always accomplish its purpose. So what is the, the purpose of water? Well, it, it makes things grow, tells us that. But it says it also provides seed to the sower and bread for the eater. In other words, it gives us what we need for nourishment, but it also gives us what we need to reproduce. We've talked about that in here, about the need for us to reproduce. 
So number one, it, it accomplishes its purpose. That's what water or what the Spirit does. It always goes out, the Word by means of the Spirit, and it accomplishes its purpose. Well, then very specifically, he tells us what that purpose is. Verse 12, You will go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Now remember, he's, he's talking metaphorically, and he's comparing water and vegetation with his spirit and what it's doing, and the spirit's going into his people, so we are the mountains and we are the trees. We are in the middle of the dead of winter, and you look at these hills, and well, I still think they're beautiful, they're brown. But in a couple of months... Something rather amazing is going to happen. Way different than what happens in, in Texas. The spring here is almost as beautiful, and in some cases even more so than the fall, because there are dozens and dozens of colors here in the spring. There's 15 shades of green. And then all the flowers that are on all the trees. All right, there is a, a symphony of praise that takes place on these hills to God. And that's what he's talking about as far as when the Spirit goes forth, then nature erupts in worship. There's shouts of joy. There's clapping of hands. Someone said earlier we need to clap our hands to stay warm in here this morning. Yeah, there's worship that's going on. And so one of the things that we should look for as power comes upon these disciples in Acts is, is their worship. And as you read through the rest of Acts, is there worship going on? Because Isaiah says that's what's going to happen when God's Word goes forth by means of the Spirit. Worship is going to happen. But that's not all that happens. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. And instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something weird about this. When I water thorn bushes, what happens? They grow, right? If you water briars or nettles, what happens to them? They grow. They don't turn into cypresses and myrtle trees, right? Right? Is this, does, does he know his horticulture? <laughs> yeah, he does. What's amazing is, is that's amazing. You don't water thorns and they turn into beautiful trees, right? But that's what happens when the Spirit of God comes upon us. It changes us. It necessarily changes us. What was thorns and briars and nettles, which is not good for anything, turns into cypresses and myrtles. There's this wonderful transformation that takes place when the Spirit of God comes upon people. And so then, at the end of 13, he tells us kind of the result of that or what else happens. So there's worship. There's change. It will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. 
It, it brings God glory. When we worship, when we change, when we look different than we did, and people notice that, they bring God glory. They praise God. They turn their minds to how in the world could that person be like this and now be like this? How could they be a thorn bush and now a cypress tree? And that necessarily causes people to turn their minds toward God and go, is that what happened? It will be a memorial, or maybe your version says it will be a name to the Lord. When we change, when we worship God, and when we truly change, it's a sign, it's a, it's a symbol, it's a, a big flashing neon sign that points to, hey, there's something here besides me. God did this. It's an everlasting sign that will be, not be cut off. There's this change that comes over that we can't explain and people take notice. And God is glorified because of that. So is that what happened? In Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit came upon the disciples, is that, is that what took place? Because if we back up just a few pages from that, we find this guy named Peter sort of cowering before a slave girl. I don't know who you're talking about. And she questioned him again, I really don't know who you're talking about. And they questioned him again, and he calls down curses upon himself. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, or a lot worse, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know him. And the Spirit comes upon Peter and he stands up. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. The one who was scared of a servant girl now stood up in front of the whole town and said, you killed him. Is he the same person he was? No, he's, he's different. But then he, he has seed to sow. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And he reminds them what the Old Testament said about this one who would come, who would not taste death. 36, Therefore let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And there's rumblings in the kingdom of man. No military might. There's no intrigue. There's no behind-the-back assassinations. There's just these words of truth. And the, the kingdom of men is shaken. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? And Peter speaks truth. Repent. Each one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift 
of the Holy Spirit. And that domino effect continued on. Verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's not a complicated message. When, when we say we believe in the death and resurrection of Christ and we receive the Holy Spirit, then the response should be worship and a changed life. And then God brings people across our path that we have an opportunity to, to speak truth to. But if you're like me, there are times I can look at this word and my response is not worship. And sometimes I can read and, and close it and, and go about my day and don't experience the change that I'm supposed to experience. And as we said last week, there's one of two options that are going on. Either I really don't know Christ and I haven't received His Spirit, or I have tuned Him out. I have decided, like those foolish Galatians, having begun by the Spirit, I'm now trying to be made perfect in the flesh. And I've gathered around me all these nice little spiritual disciplines. I can read my Bible and, okay, check, I've read that for today and that's nice. And I was convicted this week that sometimes that happens more than it should. That, that sometimes I'll, I'll open this up and, and read it as in a task that needs to be accomplished or some information that needs to be inputted versus an opportunity to just look at the words and go, who is this God that wrote this? Is he, is he for real? And allow the words, wherever I am in this book, to lead me to a place of worship. And what that means is, I have to spend the time not only to read it, but to not have the time so short that I read it and then put it down and dash off to something else. But that I have the time to think and ask myself, how does this, how does this lead to worship? And if there is a command, if there is a character issue, if there is something else going on, am I allowing God's Spirit to change me? And am I willing to depend upon Him to be changed? Or am I just hoping that something might happen if I just live a little longer? Right? So my, my challenge to you this week, as you open this book, some of you I know are, are on a, some kind of reading plan. Maybe you're trying to read through the Bible or the Old Testament or the New Testament, some form or fashion. And so you're in a reading plan and you read it, but... I know that a lot of you are busy, and so you read it, and then the day happens. Kids, spouse, work, 
let me encourage you, even if you have to slow down, to tomorrow, this afternoon, when you open this up and read it, make sure that you leave some time and ask yourself the question, how does this lead me to worship the creator of the universe? Write something down. You are worthy to be worshipped because. Because there's not a page in this book that goes by that doesn't reveal to us something about who God is, what He has done for us, His grace, His mercy, who we were, and now how we're different. So would you take the time this week to worship God? Because that is a necessary reaction to having the Word of God come into our lives by the means of the Holy Spirit. And then two, God, how do you want me to be different? And I strongly believe that will not happen unless you're in community with somebody. As much as I'm convinced that, okay, this is true, as much as it convicts me and says I'm not like this, I need to be like this, that change will not happen if it's just me trying to make that change. Have to be in community. Have to have other people come alongside. You have to be willing to say, here's what God's Word spoke to me this week, and my life doesn't match up with that. But you know what? I want my life to be a memorial to the Lord. I want it to be a sign to other people. I want to be different. I want someone to say, you know him or her? They're different. Something's changed. And that only takes place as we spend time in this Word and prayer and in community. And so my challenge to all of you sitting in here, from the youngest to the oldest, allow this to be an avenue for you this week of worship and as you interact with those around you, an avenue for change. And then may God be glorified in all that we say and do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the truth that you speak to us. But I confess, God, that I do not treat your word the way that it needs to be treated. I ask that you would help me, that you would help all of us to truly worship you this week as we spend time with you in your word by the power of your spirit. For those of us who are husbands and dads, God, I pray that our spouses and our children would um, see you more clearly this week as you allow us to change. God, I pray for those moms and wives in this room that you would allow uh, their husbands and kids uh, to see you in them as they worship and change. For those in here who are neighbors and co-workers, sons and daughters, friends, God, I pray that as they interact with your word and worship and depend upon you to change, that others would see you in them. God, that you truly would be glorified. And that we as a church, God, as we minister to this community, people wouldn't see this church, but they would see you. That our lives would be a memorial to you. 
an everlasting sign of your goodness and your mercy and your grace. And we pray that you would receive all the glory for that. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.